So, as Stephen said at the start of the service, uh, this is our last talk this morning on these, uh, this series on, that we've had in the Psalms of Ascent over the, over the summer. I really enjoyed this, this little series, and I'm going to be quite sad to see it come to an end. And the summer holidays are also at an end, too. My children go back to school on Tuesday, and I'm sure for many of us, this is going to mark sort of the start of normal time, rushing from one thing to the next. Summer holidays, sun, relaxation, quickly to become just a memory, and there's a long wait until the next ones. I thought I'd cheer you all up at the start of the talk. <laughs> But actually, it's not all bad news, is it? It's not all bad news, because there's plenty of good things to look forward to. We've got an excellent new series starting next week uh, called Famous Verses, where we're going to unpack some of the, the most famous and widely shared, or maybe misunderstood, verses in the Bible. And we're going to look at what they really mean and can mean to us. And also, we've got... 40 Days of Community, starting in October, which is going to be absolutely fantastic, which is a great thing to look forward to. So although looking back at what's just happened can sometimes fill us with a little bit of sorrow and perhaps depression, there is or there can be excitement ahead, a chance to do something different going forward than what has gone on in the past. Perhaps an opportunity this September to to have a better impact in your life or make some positive changes, do things a little differently this year. As those summer holidays that I mentioned a bit earlier, I had some this year, and they're often a time where I find a place to just have that rest from the business of life, but have a think back, reflect on how things have gone, and maybe pray through and think through changes that I want to uh, make next year or goals that I want to try and achieve next year to help it go better and to grow perhaps in my faith or in other areas of my, of my life. It gives you that opportunity to look at things afresh and have a fresh perspective on things. And perhaps if you don't do that ever, it might be a really good opportunity. Or can I encourage you to do that and find the time to do that. And, for risk of sounding like a broken record, 40 days of community would be a great time to come along and reflect and have a think about how things are going in your life and to do that along with others. So looking back is often a a great way to make changes uh, moving forward. I've been here a year and a week now, here at HTC, and I was looking back over the summer, I was really thankful for, for my first year. There have been some really uh, helpful memories, and uh, many more helpful memories um, than, than unhelpful ones, just in case you were worrying. But not all memories are happy, though. There can be sad ones. But even the saddest memories that I have in my past actually have really helpful elements to them going forward. I was thinking perhaps a, a, a corporate one that we could all think about that has this kind of like aspect to it. It was earlier this year when, when Mike and, and then Philip both left in quick succession. It was a helpful and hurtful memory. You know, it was sad to see Mike and Philip go. You know, they're no longer to be here and be part of our community serving and leading it amongst us. But it was also exciting, wasn't it? Because we saw God calling them to a new chapter in their life where God was going to use them in new places and with new people. 
and exciting for us as we as a church started to think about where's God going to take us on our next journey, on our next step. It was helpful for us to have that time to look to ourselves and also look, more importantly, to God afresh. Where was he asking us to go? And for our personal memories too, some of the saddest memories in my life have really helpful impact on me today. Even if they're simply just to trust God in the face of great uncertainty. You know, a relative dying or that time at university uh, when I really, I just walked away from God and had the worst time of my life. They all have helpful um, lessons that I have learned from them. And in fact, in our new series, one of the verses we're going to be looking at in the Bible is from Romans 8.28, which says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And I don't want to spoil that verse, but the incredible meaning behind it is that God can make some good come out of even the most horrendous situations. Just look with what happened to Jesus on the cross. But what's all this got to do with the the psalm that we heard read this morning, Psalm 132? Well, it has a lot to do with it, because this psalm reminded the people as as they sung it of Israel's past. It reminded them of a painful side, but yet also provided huge help to keep their focus as a people on the worship of God, at least it did for a time anyway. Before we get into actually looking at specific things I want to draw out from the psalm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time setting uh, the scene or the background for this psalm, just so we can get a better understanding. So the first thing we need to know about this psalm is um, uh, that it is, like we said earlier, like the other psalms of ascent we've looked at over the summer, it was an ancient song that the people of Israel would sing as they literally travelled up to Jerusalem for one of the, the, the three big worship festivals of the earth. They travelled up to the temple there. Uh, second thing we need to remember as well is like all psalms, they're written, written well before Jesus uh, was born, hundreds and hundreds of years in, in fact, and before the gift of the Holy Spirit w- w- was poured out on the people who believe. And so consequently, we need to understand, particularly for this psalm, what the Ark of the Covenant was, because this is what this psalm is circling around, uh, what the Ark of the Covenant is. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a a box. It was approximately 1.3 metres in in length and about 80 centimetres in in breadth and depth. Um, It was made of wood but covered in gold, and its lid, in fact, was solid gold, and it was called the Mercy Seat, had two cherubim, which are a bit like angel creatures on either side. And uh, they surrounded the seat in the middle, which was, as I've said, was, was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat from the middle was where God's word was heard from or would be spoken from. And this box was made uh, under God's instruction, but with Moses' supervision. Its contents included the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, which were written by God's own hand um, when he met with uh, Moses on Mount Sinai. And the ark symbolized God's presence uh, among his people. Perhaps a different way of describing it is, is God's dwelling place among his people. Now, the Israelites knew that God wasn't limited to one place, but this box symbolized God's presence and God being with his people. And the ark was in the Holy of Holies, in the center of the temple, 
that the people were going to worship to as they were singing this psalm in Jerusalem. And this psalm is recalling a memory of how the ark came to be at the centre of the temple. That's what that odd verse in the middle of the psalm was about. You might think, what's that about? Um, It's verse 6 in your in the NIV translation, it says this, we heard about it in Apathra, we came upon it in the fields of Jar. This is about recalling an event from Israel's past that had both hurtful and helpful aspects to it. And the people singing the psalm would have known the history. Briefly, King David, remembered as the best king that Israel had ever had, found the ark well, the ark was found during his reign in the fields of, of Jar, an obscure and tiny little village. And it was found in, in a barn but belonging to a, a farmer there. And it was a hurtful memory for the people because they would have remembered how the ark got to be there. Israel had really badly mistreated God by using the ark as basically a talisman, a, a, a magical device to try and manipulate God and get their, their own way. The nation of, uh, of Israel was in, in a battle against the Philistines in a time when they were basically neither listening to God nor obeying his commandments. Uh, they had no regard for God whatsoever, and they were losing a battle against the Philistines. And they thought, I know what we'll do. We'll whip out the ark of the covenant, and that will mean we'll win this battle. And, and then we can go on our merry way. They reduced God to simply some, a, a box that they could whip out in a time of need and use for their own benefit rather than for their whole life. God was not pleased with that attitude. They lost the battle and lost the ark. The ark was taken away by the Philistines. It was a hurtful memory. But actually recounting when they found it, also was quite a joyful memory as well for them because now King David, this ark was found, this symbol of God's place among his people, it was found and David commits to bringing it back. The ark was returned to the people. I won't tell you the story of how it got into that particular place but they went to the ark and they praised and they worshipped God. The worship was so amazing when they found the ark. We're told in um, 2 Samuel 6 in verse 14 that David danced in front of the ark before all the people as it was brought into Jerusalem in his equivalent today of his underpants. That's how excited it was. You can't imagine you know, our, our queen out there in her petticoat dancing in front of us all, could you? What a picture that is. Anyway, try and put that from your mind. Um, so you see this psalm, this psalm 132, it could not have been sung and understood by the people going out there without remembering both the mistakes of the past but also some of the joy that came out of those mistakes later on and the lessons that they could learn from God. Now I know we don't have to travel to Jerusalem anymore as I've mentioned, you know, we don't need this ark as a symbol of God's presence among us because we have a much more powerful symbol today, don't we? We have this kind of like better ever-present ark living in us because if we're in Jesus we have God's Holy Spirit his very presence with us right now in this room here and in every single one of us so although the context is quite different I do think there are some amazing lessons we can learn from this psalm and there are three that I want to pick out for us this morning and the first is this is the commitment 
required in God? Or has it gone on your hand out of the commitment of the faithful? At the start of this psalm, I don't know if you, you noticed, um, the resolve that King David had to bring this ark back into Jerusalem to be at the center of his life, but also his nation's life. I'm not going home. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to sleep. Not even take time to rest until I find a home for God, a house for the strong God of Jacob. They were David's word. God was not some kind of optional add-on that David had in his life, like the attitude of the people that the people had towards God when they had lost the ark in the first place. God wasn't a game. He might play on his mobile phone if he had one when he had time, spare few minutes, or when he wanted to. Instead, he made God and getting God at the center of his life being his top priority. He was going to work at it, and he committed to it. He gave God his time, his energy, his thought, his focus. And the Bible does tell us that David did achieve the task of bringing the ark to Jerusalem. And as they entered the gates, as I mentioned already, he was danced with great abandon in his pants before the people, risking ridicule and embarrassment in front of all his people because of his joy. And he was ridiculed by one of his own wives, Micah, because of it. But he didn't care because actually he was more thrilled with joy that God's presence was with him and with his people. He was more concerned about that than looking foolish or what others might think of him. So here is a challenge for us. How committed are we How committed are you to God? How committed are you to having God and God's presence at the center of your life and of letting it be seen? Is your commitment to God an add-on? Something to do and to practice only when it suits you or only if you have time? Do you just come to church on a Sunday when you've got nothing else to do? Or do you commit to spend time with God, not just on a Sunday, but also seek to spend time with him regularly throughout your week? Do you pray to him and allow him to guide you in each part of your life? I can truly say with great confidence that choosing to put God at the centre of my life, and I do mess up probably more than you would uh, like me to as a a minister, but it was the best decision I ever made to put God at the centre. I walked away from God at university thinking my life would be much better without him. It was the biggest mistake I ever made. There is something so lacking in this world if you don't have God with you. Just uh, there's fun things out there, but they don't compare with the joy of having God at the center of your past. That is one of the most helpful yet hurtful memories of my life when I did that. Because walking away caused me some of the worst 
problems and, uh, and moments in my life, but I know the joy I'll offer when I turned back to God and realized that and the way he welcomed me back. I remember dancing for joy literally uh, later on that year after I'd come back for God, which is probably why I love that story of David so much. Dancing, I didn't dance in my underpants, but um, to make that clear, but I, I remember dancing with great joy after it um, because suddenly everything else seems less important. It's just uh, amazing to know the love that God has for you. So if you are here this morning and God isn't out of the center of your life, I encourage you to make that commitment today. Now is a really good time to do it at the start of something new. Commit to doing something differently this academic year ahead. For some of you, that may be a big change and challenge if you don't even know Jesus yet. For others of you, it might be slightly smaller, yet still a hard change to make. A commitment to bring God into maybe those places where you currently exclude him from. Maybe at work or with some of your, your friends on the school playground or at university or wherever it is. Maybe even in those times on your own when nobody else is around. I encourage you, come to God today. Commit to him. Commit to having him at the center of your life at all times and in all places. Whatever it is, big or small. And after this talk where you've got... Um, uh, we're going to have people that would love to pray with you at the front or, or, or the back about anything, whether it's a big or a small thing. They'd love to pray for you. Commit to make God your top priority and have him at the center of your life, of your life like, like David did. Because David's commitment made a massive difference, not just to him and his life, but also to the whole nation. David's commitment to having God at the center brought great blessing to so many. The whole nation benefited from it. And when you commit to God, I know it won't just be a benefit to you, but it will be a benefit to those around you also. So have commitment to God and commitment to having God at the center. The second thing is uh, God's place at the center, I need to make this clear, of your life, doesn't mean you have immunity from misfortune. We need to realize that, that David, even though he was king and is remembered as the greatest uh, king of the Israelites, he did not have an easy life and a time free of strife and struggling. Look at the opening verse of the psalm. It says as much. <laughs> All kinds of disaster came upon David. He had to flee for his life a number of times from both enemies without, but also from within. He even had to flee from Absalom, his, his son once, who wanted to kill him. Yet David's commitment to God remained. He wasn't perfect. He did mess up, but he had a heart after God. I think a natural tendency of us can be to think of God more like some kind of uh, lucky charm to protect us and stop bad stuff happening, only to have our faith dashed and perhaps our, our commitment waver when something bad happens. God never promises his children an easy life. But I do think that life with God is much better than life without God. I'm sure God does protect us from many harms that come our way without us uh, even realizing. But bad stuff happens in this world because it is a broken and fallen 
world. And bad stuff is going to happen to you whether or not you believe in God. But it's much better to go through that with God than without him. David suffers a number of setbacks, as I mentioned. Even one of them was actually in bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. The first time he did that, it ended in a bit of disaster because um, somebody died. Uh, they, they, they didn't do it properly. They didn't realize they weren't doing it properly, but they weren't doing it properly. David w- was rocked after making this vow. And it would have been easy to turn his back. But he kept his commitment, turned to God again, and tried again. There's always going to be bumps in the road along our journey and along our faith with God and having him at the center. Sometimes we're not going to understand what happened at the time. David didn't understand what happened in the time when they were bringing the ark back. Later on, he did. But he still kept trusting God and committed to following him. And listen to the joy that happened at the end after that commitment. Later on in the psalm, it says, we shouted, let's go to the shrine dedication. Let's worship at God's own footstool. This is the people calling out. Up, God, enjoy your place of quiet repose. You and your mighty covenant ark. Get your priests dressed up in justice. Prompt your worshippers to sing this prayer. You can feel the joy or hear the joy in those words there, can't you? Get your priests dressed in justice and worshippers to sing. You know, God doesn't promise us immunity from misfortune. But what I can say again with great confidence is great joy is on offer through God through those times. And at the end of them, justice and joy are found in keeping God at the center of your life through the good times and the bad times. Life is more joyful with God than without it. So keep God at the center. Don't expect God and your life to you be protected from all evil and no disaster to come upon you but just keep God at the centre anyway and I'm sure joy will come in the end and I can say this with confidence as well because the third point I want to point out in this psalm is about God's extravagance his great way in which he doesn't just simply do what people expect but he goes beyond it with his promises God's extravagance in keeping and fulfilling the promises that are mentioned there in this psalm towards the end. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the second half of the psalm towards the end, there are some incredible promises in there, and they've been fulfilled in the most incredible and extraordinary way. There's a promise for David to always have a son sitting on the throne in this psalm. You know, for God's priests to be dressed in salvation's clothes, i.e. clothes that save. You know, I'm sure the original people singing that psalm did not have quite in mind the way that God fulfilled them. You know, they were going to a magnificent temple with the, the ark at the center to this place where, where, where the King David or the, or the following kings lived, you know, and the king was supposed to guide the nation and act justly with them, you know. They were supposed to be the best nation on earth, an example for other nations uh, to follow, you know. There would be the, the temple there where the priests would be who would take your offerings and make sacrifices on your behalf to to deal with the mistakes and the impurity of the people and bring, help, help, uh, bring salvation to the people. It would have been awe-inspiring just for them. But for us, it's even better. For us, it's even better. You see, Jesus, if you didn't know this, 
is King David's great, 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 great grandson. And he is the king that is alive and rules God king, God's kingdom forever. And it's through him that us as the uh, priesthood of all believers we are called, we are dressed in salvation clothes through believing in Jesus. God's presence is no longer limited to that temple, magnificent as it was in its prime, but is in us through the Holy Spirit, through being clothed and forgiven in salvation, through what Jesus did for us on the cross. That should fill us with even more joy than those early people that were going up to the temple to worship. It should fill us with more joy than David dancing before the ark in his underpants. I'm not going to ask you to dance in your underpants this morning. But it should fill us with great joy at the extravagance of God's blessings and his faithfulness to us as a people. That even though we mess up, God fulfills his promises even better. You see, because the people back then, they had this psalm, they had this ark, they had the great news, but they still, as a nation, they did go off the rails. But God still fulfilled his side of the bargain, even though the people didn't. And he fulfilled his side of the bargain in a way that was much better than the nation of Israel and the people could ever have expected and believed through Jesus. So, let me finish by asking you this question again. How committed are you to having this awesome, trustworthy, extravagant God at the centre of your life? How committed are you to allowing God into each part of your life and letting it be seen? Make that commitment today whether it's for the first time whether it's just to renew your trust in him or whether it's a commitment to take him into a fresh place a new place this year make that commitment today and I promise you it will bring you joy in the, uh, through it no matter what you're going through there will be joy at the end because we can stand here in great confidence knowing that what Jesus has done for us on the cross that even if the worst happens to us death is not the end but we will be alive with Christ commit to God it's worth your while and it will bring blessing not just to you but to those around you